Well, so new series today, Sand and Stars. Someone say Sand and Stars. Sand and Stars. Sand and Stars. So this series is all about God's promise, our faith, and the impossible. God's promise, our faith, and the impossible. And uh, in order to build out those three concepts, we're going to be taking a journey with a historical figure by the name of Abraham. And uh, I like to use the term historical figures when it comes to scripture because they were real people. And I don't like to use the term character. It sounds like fiction, like a, just any other book. But this is the word of God. And Abraham was a real man. And Paul was a real man. Jesus was real. And uh, it's important that uh, when it comes to biblical figures that we don't just say, oh, yeah, God used them. God did great things in their life, but, you know, I'm just some normal kind of Joe Schmo. But when you study your Bible, especially if you're a Christian, you come to realize how interconnected your life is and how similar your life is to figures like Abraham. And so what I'm going to do today is we're going to build some historical context. So I'll be teaching for about 15 minutes. Then the last 15, we'll do some practical application so um, I feel like I've been called to teach and enlighten and then inspire. Because if I just inspire you, you'll leave pumped up, but you won't know what to do with it in your day-to-day life. Right. If I just educate you, you'll leave with knowledge, but you, you won't know what to do with it when the devil comes knocking on your door. And so I want to bring some clarity. Research has confirmed that we live in the most biblically illiterate generation of all time. So um, whatever preacher you follow, follow them. But I will say that there's a deficit of teaching right now in the body of Christ. So it leaves people excited on Sunday, excited on Monday, but come Tuesday, I need to get back to church because my fire has burnt out. So I want to clarify some things for you before we get into the real, real good stuff. Okay, so Abraham. Someone say Abraham. Abraham. All right, Abraham lived around roughly 1800 B.C. And he's from a small city called Ur in ancient Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is current day Iraq, Turkey, Syria. And you got to think, this is 1800 B.C., so a very primitive time in uh, human history. This is not too long after Noah's flood or Noah's ark. Maybe a few hundred, if not a thousand years or so after Noah. Um, And then if you back up a little bit more, you'll hit Adam and Eve, the creation story. And so when you think of the Middle East and Africa, that's where everything pretty much started from. Mesopotamia is this um, fertile crescent of land where there's a lot of water and soil and produce and cattle. And whenever you're reading your Old Testament and you come upon a well of water, essentially wells represented wealth. Wells were cities would be built with wells in the center of them. And so uh, Abraham was in a thriving environment because Noah's time had just passed, meaning that God had just restarted all of humanity and man was beginning to remultiply again. And so 1800 B.C. is the setting. And you can picture tents and, you know, long robes and hot outside, cold at night. Abraham was from 
Uh, Abraham's father was Terah, who was an idol worshiper. So Terah worshiped many gods, many lowercase g gods. He was a polytheist. Terah's way of life or the way he made his living was he made man-made idols. And so God appeared to Abram. The Bible confirms this in Acts chapter 7 through Deacon Stephen, thousands of years after Abram. Deacon Stephen was a believer in Christ, but uh, he was stoned to death for his profession in Christ. But the Bible revealed through Deacon Stephen that God called Abram and appeared to Abram while he was in Mesopotamia. All right. And so this is what you call a theophany. Someone say theophany. 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 Has anyone ever seen the the movie His Only Son? Show of hands. I'm failing you as a pastor. (laughs) That's a part of your homework. Two two homework assignments over the next few weeks because we're going to be on this journey with Abraham. Number one, I want you to read Genesis 12 through Genesis 25 for the next few weeks. Go at your own pace. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. It's a powerful read. Genesis 12 through Genesis 25. And number two, watch the movie, His Only Son. That is the story of Abraham. And so at the beginning of the movie, you're going to see God appear to Abraham. And I love our modern day technology. It's super cool. It's not corny like it used to be, but this is my, he just appeared like, I love the way they, ah, you got to see it. It's so amazing. But Jesus appears in all white to him and he calls Abraham to leave his father's household. And then he disappears. He leaves. So this is a visible manifestation of God's presence. I was reading a rabbi's quote. Because my question is, out of all the people after Noah, why did you choose Abraham? Like, whenever I read the scripture, like, I don't want to be left out. Why does Abraham have to have this amazing calling? Why why, why does Jacob have have to be? Why does Paul have to change the world? I want to change the world. I want to do something great. Like, why out of all the people did you call Abraham? And I was reading this rabbi's commentary, and he was saying, God was waiting to find the right person, and he used a parable. The rabbi said that Abraham was like finding a jewel that had fell out of a king's crown. This king had been on a long journey across the desert, and when he reached his destination, he took off his crown, and he noticed that a jewel was missing. So he scavenged that desert for square miles and very deep until he found that jewel again and put it back in his crown. So it took God so long to find Abraham because he couldn't find the right person with the right character. This is not him being a judge. This is him trusting someone with the most precious promise he's ever given to humanity. And he gave this promise of Jesus Christ in the garden when he told Eve that he will bruise your heel, but you will crush your, your offspring will crush his head. That was a messianic prophecy in Genesis saying that Jesus would destroy the devil. That's right. So from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12, which spans thousands of years, God finally finds the right person. And it was all based on his character. And so Abraham's uh, greatest earthly desire, though, was to have a son because God promised him protection. God promised him blessing. And this was the big one. He said, and you will have many descendants. But in order to have many descendants, you must have a son to carry on your name. So that was his greatest humanly 
desire. And there were a few reasons why it was so important to birth a son in the ancient Middle East. Number one is so that you as a man could pass on your inheritance. You could pass on your inheritance. You can't pass on your inheritance to your daughter because she's going to get married and end up under another man's roof. But you wanted to have a son because whatever you had, you passed on to him. The second reason was to preserve family line, to preserve your family line, to preserve your name. So back in the ancient Middle East and biblical times, it was an honor to have children. Men and women didn't take it lightly. Thus, whenever someone did get pregnant, it was their desire to see the baby process through. Because not only was it awesome to have a son, but the earth was in a remultiplication phase. And at that point, they knew that the earth was not full. And there was something in each individual that felt the responsibility to replenish the earth with human beings. So they took having children as sacred. And it was important to have a boy child because many women were having daughters. But unless you have a man, you cannot reproduce. And the third reason is because you would be considered blessed by God. Blessed by God. And if you could not have a boy child, you were considered cursed. So this started when Abraham was 75. And he wouldn't conceive Isaac until he was 99 years old. Someone say character. Character. And I think he also knew that there's only one man upon the earth that can wait 24 years for the first sign of the promise. And I think a lot of us get skipped over by God because he knows we can't wait. Our souls are saved, but he knows uh, when they die, they're going to heaven. But the things I want to do in their lives in the earth, I might have to skip out on them. But he knew he had the right one with Abraham. And so when you read the scripture, it's not just wow, Abraham, or God, use me like Abraham, but it's also put me to the test like Abraham. Put me to the test like the man of God. Give me that perseverance. Give me that, give me that call. Give me that vision. Give me that dream. Oh, my God. I think about our vision of 20 locations by 2040. And every month that passes by that we don't launch a new location, I begin to question, Lord, is it really going to happen? Are we really going to see over 20,000 people across this entire state attending church on a Sunday by 2040? So that human side of me doubts, but my spirit man continues to say, keep believing. I know you don't see it now. I know you don't see it now, but all it takes is a compound effect to occur. All it takes is one year, a three-year stretch, and it all unfolds. But do we have that patience to wait for the compound effect? Are y'all in here today? Do you have the patience to see it through? Why did God call Abram? Well, number one, the world was a mess. We're still taking notes. The world was a mess The Bible says in Genesis 6 that God looked upon the earth. This was the time of Noah. And he realized that the only thought 
in the imagination of man was persistently evil. So that introduced the flood. And then the rainbow came and he promised to never uh, destroy the earth with water again. But the world was a mess. Number two, to, to form his chosen people, the nation of Israel. Abraham is what you would consider, if you're taking notes, the first Jew. The first Jew. Or the first Israelite. The name Israel means God fights. Another name for Israel means prince of God. Abraham is also, if you're taking notes, the only man considered the friend, a friend of God in the Bible. So he, he, he called Abraham to form his chosen people because it was these group of people that was going to introduce Jesus Christ into the world. So here it is. Abraham would have Isaac. He would have Jacob. Jacob will have 13 sons. Out of those 13 sons, he would create the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 tribes of Israel became a nation. And so wherever Abraham moved, because Abraham was semi-nomadic, he would move. Jacob would move. Isaac would move. That ecosystem was enough to sustain the family line. So that one day, eventually, a nation would be formed that was going to bring through Jesus Christ into the world. So why did he call Abram? To form his chosen people that would present the Savior to you and I. Number three, to prepare the way for Jesus the Christ. So he's starting this process of redeeming mankind from the original curse of sin and death. So powerful. You, you never know just how important your calling is to God. And how the calling that's on your life will live past your death. Abraham didn't know this. God knew it. But Romans 9 tells us, here it is. Are y'all here? Yeah. We good? We good? We good? We learning something? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Hey, uh, Romans 9 tells us that um, Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. And if you believe in Christ, you too are now a spiritual descendant of Abraham. This is why he is the father of our faith. And then the fourth reason he called Abraham was this, and this is where you and I come in. Abraham was equal parts faithful and logical. We're going to take a turn and begin to get practical now. He was faithful. Someone say faithful, faithful. and logical. That's right. It means that when God looked into his soul, he saw someone who was committed. He saw the raw material of what Abraham could be, a committed person, a dedicated person. But he also saw a wise person. Yeah. Someone with common sense. See, there are a lot of wise people who are wise beyond what God needs. And they don't feel that they need God. Then there are some faithful people who are just extreme and they're weird and they're scary. God needed that happy medium. He needed faithful and he needed logical. In Hebrews 11 when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, who God had promised him, because God said, sacrifice your son, I've given you the promise, now give it away. We'll get to that in week five or six, because he's testing to see, do you love the gift or do you love the giver? But he didn't take away the gift, he was just testing them. So the Bible says that when he was about to kill Isaac in obedience to God, that he reasoned, someone say reason. reason, he reasoned in his mind, so he was logical, that even if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. There's the faith. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Faith is logic. 
It's not just some genie in a bottle, God, three wishes, do it in my life. It is also logic. And I believe this. Abraham had a great call. You too have a great call and purpose on your life. Come on now. You have a destiny. You have a divine design. I believe that there are a lot of people waiting on you. They're waiting on your yes to God. And so we're going to go ahead and read Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. And I just have two points today. And then we're going to baptize some amazing people. Can we celebrate baptisms one more time? It's going to be a fun time. Great time. I hear that 90% of baptisms are mentors or mentees. From Come on, ladies. Flourishing. Love it. I love it. I think that means Pastor Kyra is kicking my butt. That's my competitive strength finders. That's a good thing. Uh, Here it is. The Lord had said to Abram, this is so good. Because that's where the movie starts at, too. Abraham, Abram. Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. And go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That is talking about Jesus. That is a messianic prophecy about Jesus Christ. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. It's my favorite part. All the blessings, all the promises. My favorite part is that one right there. So Abraham departed as God had instructed. Because obedience is the key that unlocks the promise. Right? How many people know it's not about coming to church? It's an important step. But unless what happens on Sunday affects your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, it really, come on now, y'all in here? It, it, it has to. It, you got to get out of this, I checked the box of church. And it has to become a lifestyle. So Abraham departed, albeit, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Can we go back to verse 1 real quick? It says this here, the Lord had said to Abram, here it is, leave your native country, your relatives. Go back to verse 4. And Lot went with him. So next Sunday, we're going to deal with partial obedience. Because as great as you are, as great as I am, as great as Abraham was, we still get it wrong. However, God still uses us. So I want to pull out two big points right here. We're going to get practical. Number one, God separates you before he elevates you. God separates you. This is a principle of life. God separates you before he elevates you. So God mentions three things in the text. He says, your native country, your relatives, and your father's household. All right, so he's dealing with two ideas within those three things. If you're taking notes, number one, he's saying, leave your comfort. Leave your comfort. Leave your day-to-day. Leave the known. Leave, leave that comfort zone. Right, you, you got to leave what you know. You got to detach from it. You got to sever it. You got to kill it. 
if God's going to do something different in your life. And the second thing, if you're taking notes, he said this, leave your culture. Leave your culture. So leave your country, leave your relatives. Those two things provide a comfort of knowing and also leave your culture. Leave your father's household. What is a culture? Well, a culture is a, a group of people that think, act, and behave a certain way. And in order for me to do a new thing in your life, I need you to leave all of it. This is why when you come to Christ, it's so important that you understand this, lean into this. That your belief in Jesus, you got to contrast your new faith in Christ with who you once were. Mm -hmm. So I can look at you and tell that you are a black man and you're proud of that. You should be. That's who God created you to be. I can look at you and have a conversation with you and tell that you are a liberal or a conservative. I can tell that you consider yourself hetero or homo, whatever it is. Now that you're in Christ, you have to contrast that with your new identity. And whenever you come to Christ, what you're saying is, is I'm severing all of those paradigms and I'm submitting them to the authority of Jesus Christ. So, yes, I'm a black man, but I love Jesus. And if my blackness tries to elevate above my faith, it needs to submit. And this is the first step. And God beginning to elevate your life for his purpose. Because you are no good to God if you're still settled in your comforts, settled in your habits, and if you're still comfortable in your culture. Because what God wants to do is he wants to take you outside of your culture so you can influence your culture. A lot of us are too busy being followers and not the leaders that God created us to be. I need to take you out. So before he elevates you, he starts messing with your relationships. He starts messing with your paradigm about how you think about white folks and how you think about black folks and how you think about Asians and how you think about Indians. I think about our team. And part of the promise that God gave me in my yellow composition notebook that I referenced so much, he said this. He said that you're going to pastor the most diverse church in human history. So it's no coincidence that he sent us to the most diverse city in America. However, before he sent us to the most diverse city in America, you got to look at the team that he formed before we left Florida and, and New York. I am the minority on my own staff. But in order for me to reach Asians and Hispanics and white people, he had to uproot me out of black culture. Now I can influence every culture, including black culture. The Bible says every tongue in every nation. When we get to heaven, it ain't going to be the white corner, the Hispanic corner. The... It's going to be everybody. Everybody. Laddie, daddy. 
Who likes the party? We up in heaven and we... Hey, hey. Kingdom culture. Leave. Leave your comforts. It's, it's, it's limiting you. Leave that paradigm. Who planted that mindset in you? It is not of God. Get it out of your mind. Leave it. Leave it. Pick up the scripture. Pick up his promises. Pick up his certainty. Pick up his word. Pick up his ways. Get out of there. Be a leader. Be different. Come from among them. Be different. Got my swagger back. So don't be surprised if God starts to call you out of a certain connection. Because the environment that those relationships are creating is not conducive to the growth and blessing that he wants to bring into your life. Don't think it weird if your soul begins to become agitated at your connections after you start to follow Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit doing it. It's not you saying, I want something different. It's the Holy Spirit saying it's time to, time to be different. Yeah, right. right? And that's the issue. We hold on to these things. God is saying, I need you here. But you're like, Lord, I, I, need, I need them in my life. He's like, no, you, you don't need them in your life. Actually, they need you to follow me so that in three or five years, they get their life right based upon what you did. But I need you to lead and do something different. Mm. I was telling my staff that during summer break, Because the Lord had been dealing with me with this for a while. But I also think it's something new that God is about to start doing. And I've been afraid of this because I'm like, Lord, no one's doing this. And he's, he, he reminded me, he said, who are you? You're the one that does things that no one else is doing. This started a year ago. But delayed obedience. It's another thing we'll talk about this month. So it finally hit me when I was on sabbatical. One day I just woke up and I did it. This is what the Lord said. He said, I need you to keep pioneering. If you're taking notes, a pioneer is a person who was among the first to explore or settle in a new country or area. It won't come up on the screen. This is totally Holy Spirit inspired. This is staff material, but God said, I need you to share this with this service. That's right. A person who was among the first to explore or settle in a new country or area. One thing I love about the life of Abraham is that he had no human examples to follow. Oh, God, y'all just missed that. I think 98% of y'all missed that. 
He had no human examples to keyword. I think that millennials and Gen Zers are going to tire out social media so much to the point where it's going to leave a bad taste in Gen Alpha's mouth. I'm already praying for it. That platforms like Facebook and Instagram will not exist by the time my grandkids are around because it is a poison. Each of them consistently stepped into new frontiers as Christ led them. So I woke up the day before we were leaving Florida to come back home, and the Lord said this because I've been so afraid to make this move. I don't know why. I think it's because we care about what people think. And I finally broke it. God said this. He said, I've called you to pioneer. There's nobody like you on the earth. Unfollow those who have influenced you on social media. Their influence is drowning out my voice and drying up your anointing. Get back to you. Lead, create, step out, speak forth. I am with you. It's a cesspool of competition, of coveting, of insecurity, and it's killing your creativity. You're thinking about them so much and what they have, you can't even disconnect to create what God has put on the inside of you. And I pray that that, come on now, that that revival would start in this church. That you would be a leader and not a follower. So maybe in this season, the Lord is saying your comfort is social media and you need to sever it at least for a few months. I need you to leave your father's house. And now I feel free again, Chris. I can pastor how I want to pastor can preach how I want to preach. I don't, don't got to watch anyone else and say, oh, dang, I ain't say it like them and I ain't do it like now. Free. Be you. Follow Christ. Step out. Be different. Your mom said, don't do it. God told you to do it. Do it. Your dad said, don't do it. God told you to do it. Do it. Your boss said, don't do it. God told you to do it. Do it. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord, follow the Lord, follow the Lord, because he's about to elevate you. Number two, this is our last point here. And that second point is that God's promises are fulfilled in stages. God's promises are fulfilled in stages. So a few things if you're taking notes. God promised Abraham these. Okay, we got three minutes. I'll let you go. Number one, he promised him land, legacy, influence, and protection. And it was on God to fulfill the promise. This is what you call, if you're taking notes, a unilateral promise. Go ahead and write that down. Unilateral promise. This means that all God needed was Abraham's trust. Unlike the Mosaic Covenant where God said, I'll bless you if you do. God had said, I'm going to do this. I just need your trust because I know you're going to make mistakes anyway, but I'm still going to do it. 
Now, this is the key to understanding this. Okay, so it's a unilateral trust, a unilateral covenant or agreement. When I was in Florida, God told me to write these things down. He said, put God's promise is, I'm going to give you revelation just right. God's promise is this. But before we get to number one, this didn't make the list. God's promise is this. It is partnered with your maturity. Hence, I give you a promise when you're 75, but you don't get the first piece of it until you're 99. Because when you were 87 you made a decision that showed a lack of maturity. So a lot of people are waiting on God to move. As a matter of fact, I want, I want to encourage you to mute. Anytime you're listening to a sermon and a pastor begins to say, God's working on it, God's working on it, God is working on it, God is making a way, God is working. If I start doing that crap, don't stand up, don't clap, I'm tripping, I'm not in the spirit, I'm in the flesh. Because let me tell you something, God ain't worked since day six of creation. God been chilling. <laughs> Jesus did his thing. Now the Holy Spirit is doing his thing. But God ain't did nothing since day six. And a lot of us say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. <laughs> you ain't waiting on God. God is waiting on you. So when we talk about God's promise and our faith and the impossible, I'm coming to realize, Brandon, dang it, I really might be 50 when we get to location number 20. It all makes sense why he said 2040 now, because I'm not mature enough right now. I can't handle thousands of people right now. I can't handle a big budget right now. I have to mature. I have to grow. That don't sound sexy, but it's the truth. God's promises partner with my maturity. We'll be unpacking that. But number one, God's promise is biblical. Go ahead and write that down. So don't, don't just make stuff up and say, oh, God, God promised me. God promised you, my husband. I saw you in prayer and you, you is it. God ain't did that. Stop. Ladies, stop. You tripping. Men be tripping too. Pastor, I saw my prayers, man. Was, have you said anything to her? Have you introduced yourself? Nah, nah. Bro, she don't even know you exist. God's promise is always true. Amen. Amen. I love that. It is, in fact, true. The mere fact we're sitting in this room illustrates that God's promise lives far beyond us. Because what Abraham initiated almost 4,000 years ago is still working to this very moment. And he didn't see. That's another thing about the promise of God. You won't see it all in your lifetime. Yeah. A lot of what he's promised you, your grandkids and great grandkids are going to inherit because of your faithfulness. Um, number three, not grammatically correct, but it's OK. God's promise never fails. It never fails. It never fails. I need you to trust it. And number four, God's promise is always fulfilled in stages. 
Can I help you out a little bit here? In 2012, I was on a 21-day fast. And I asked the Lord for, I was asking him for one thing for 21 days. And I think it has to get to this place with a lot of people when it comes to your relationship with God. You're doing amazing. God loves you. You're going to heaven if you're in Christ. But you feel like there's something missing in your walk with Christ. Because this is what God was calling Abraham to. God was calling Abraham to give him his entire life. Your entire life, not just your soul for when you go to heaven, but to give him your entire life. So when I was 24 years old in 2012, I went on 21 day fast and I said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking you for 20. I'm not eating for 21 days for one reason. I want to know why you put me in this earth. What is my purpose? And on day 10, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember it like it's this moment. I was at the foot of my bed. It was nighttime. I was in prayer. And the Lord said these words to me. He said, trust me with your life. I'm going to use you in powerful ways. And I believe he's saying that to you today. Don't just trust me with your eternity. Wow. Come on. Trust me with your money. Trust me with your education. Trust me with your time. He said, trust me with your life. And I'm going to use you in powerful ways. Now, let me help you with this. When I was on my knees at the foot of my bed, that very moment did not look like this moment. It didn't look like the 10 o'clock service. It didn't look like the 830 service. It was me in a room alone. How you going to use me? I'm broke. All my friends are like, bro, you weird. How you going to use me, Lord? Look, there's, there's drama going on in my house right now, back home in Orlando. How are you going to use me? My life is a mess. My life is a mess. He said, trust me with your life. And I'm going to use you in powerful ways. And once I came out of that prayer, I told my then girlfriend, because what he was saying was he was saying, trust me and go into vocational ministry. He said, I know you don't have uh, any mentors, any coaches. There's no pastor training you, but I am going to raise you up. I'm going, I'm going to use you. They're not going to use you. I'm going to use you. So I told my girlfriend at the time, I said, babe, I'm dropping my plans and I'm doing what God wants me to do. And then it began to unfold. The next year I was married. 11 months later, I had my first biological child. In that same season, I met Chris. 2012, I met Megan. The next year, we met Sam and Lance. The next year, we met Chrissy and Chow. The next year, God said, move. The next year, we moved. The next year, we started the church. Then we started to open it up. And it happens in stages. But the same vision he gave me when I was alone has begun to be fulfilled in stages. And that's how God works. So don't get irritated. Let me encourage you right now. God is not forgotten. He ain't working. He's waiting. He's going to release it into your life. He knows where you are. He's not late. He's not delayed. You just got to keep walking with him. And every promise that he's given you and placed in your heart, He's going to bring it to pass. He's going to see about you. 
I mean, think about it. Abraham had lived an entire life. But the latter 100 parts were his best. I can't wait to continue to build this out more. I want to read you this verse before we go. Hebrews 6 says this. Go ahead and plant this in your heart. Get yourself a tattoo. Here it is. Hebrews 6. Here it is. No one is greater than God. So he made a promise in his own name when he said to Abraham, I, the Lord, will bless you with many descendants. You know how we would say, I swear to God, I swear to God. God said, I swear to me, I swear to me. That's what this means. Then after Abraham had been very patient, someone say very. Very. He was given what God had promised. When anyone wants to to settle an argument, they make a vow by, by using the name of someone or something greater than themselves. So when God wanted to prove for certain his promise to his people could not be broken, he made a vow. God cannot tell lies. And so his promises and vows are two things that can never be changed. Isn't it good to know that God can't lie? And that it's just a matter of time before you see that promise fulfilled in your life. Can we praise God for the word of God today? It's just a matter of time. It's just...